have worn hoop earrings all along, you're telling me? Dang, next time I will plan ahead and wear the hoop earrings and hold the handheld. Anyhow, uh, you can see why I was picked to uh, speak on such a super Sunday, because clearly I am such a super communicator, and I, you know, honestly, I, I feel enchanted to be speaking here this morning. Yes, you know what I'm doing. I heard there was something happening this afternoon that was going to be making sparks fly, and they wanted a, a Swifty speaker to speak now. Don't blame me, right? How many references do you think I just put in there about T-Swift song? Thank you. Thank you for those Swifties in the back. Actually, I, I am stoked to be speaking here this morning. This is a super day. I, I have more on my mind than just Taylor Swift, though. Honestly, I have cars on my mind, if you can believe that. Uh, John and I, my husband and I, are thinking about, thinking about getting a new car. And here's the reason why. When my parents died, they gave me their 2002 vehicle, which I love. I love, love, love my car, but it has a timing belt that isn't worth replacing, you know, when your car is not worth like the cost of repair. So John has told me like, don't drive freeways because that thing's going to blow at any moment, but drive it into the ground. And when you've driven it into the ground, then we'll get a new car. So we're thinking about thinking about getting a new car. Here's the thing though about my car that I love. I've driven it now for eight years. It has all of these memories attached to my parents because this was their car. So when I drive it, I feel close to them. So that's like a huge, huge thing. Second thing I love about it is that it has so much glass all around. I feel like when I'm making my lane changes, I can see the whole wide world around me. <laughs> There's so much glass. And the thing I do not like about the new cars is how little glass there is. I've been test driving a couple of them out there. I get into them, and all I can see in the back, big steel posts. And I talked to the, uh, I talked to the salesman about this, and he said that since 2020, safety regulations have changed, and car makers are now putting in tons of steel back there. Um, it makes it safe in case I roll over. All I can see, though, is like, this much glass, not, not a whole lot of visibility, makes me nervous. Um, so there's a thing called blind spots. There's my, see, I don't love it. I don't love how little glass there is. Um, anyhow, they, he said, what you have to do is learn how to drive differently. The way that I learned to drive a million years ago is not the way that people drive now. Now when people drive, they don't check behind them for blind spots when they're making lane changes, apparently. Um, there's technology. There's something called technology. <laughs> it beeps at you, I know. The, it, a, a thing will beep at you. It will be a blind spot detector, alert system thing. There will be cameras if you're backing up. And so I need to learn how to drive differently, apparently. Um, and then he said this. Pretty, pretty soon, we won't even have rear windows. I shuddered. I shuddered. That makes me so claustrophobic, I can't tell you. But I'm supposed to be learning how to use these blind spot uh, alerts, apparently. So, what? Don't do it? 
yeah, that, that was like, anyhow, it's probably a mental thing for me. Anyhow, so what has this got to do with Mark 7? This is where we're going to be today is Mark 7. You're going to see something about blind spots in here. And then you're going to be like, oh, okay, that's why she's thinking of this. Last week, Ryan talked about tunnel vision. And he had us with the disciples on a boat. And uh, Jesus was passing them by. And we talked about how you can miss Jesus, who is like the most important thing, because you're kind of like heads down tunnel vision, right? So today we're going to be picking up Mark 7, if you want to flip there. And we're talking about this light, easy, breezy topic called uh, legalism and hypocrisy. Such a fun thing for an Enneagram 9 to uh, talk about with you. This will be fun. Um, though it is an expansive, complicated topic, uh, we're, we're going to be talking about the law a lot, and we're going to be talking about the law as it applies to first century Christians, who is the group of people that Jesus is addressing here in the village square. Um, I feel like it's a compelling topic to talk about given where Arbor is at, just about ready to enter the Lent season. And some of us are exploring ways to um, build in spiritual formation or spiritual discipline into this Lenten season. We're adding in things like Sabbath and, and fasting and Bible reading plans. And some of the non-denominational evangelicals in the room here are a little bit, like, nervous that we're going to get into, like, ritual or something that's legalistic. Because uh, that's not really our faith tradition. We're like a, a low church kind of vibe here. But what we can explore as we discuss legalism is where do things fall into the danger zone in terms of that? Uh, we've had success with all other areas of our life, having some structure built in, like we kind of use calendars and reminder systems on our phones, and some of you brave souls have done Whole30. Like, we have had some success with certain structures in our lives. So when it comes to spiritual formation, though, where's, where's the danger zone? We'll be talking about some blind spot alerts as we go through this. So for first century Jews, the law was God-given to Moses. It's called the Mosaic Law. It was given by God to help form uh, his people, the way that they did civil activity, relationships, worship, all the things are built into that. That is in the first five books of our Bible. It's called the Pentateuch. The law can be found there. And then if I had my Bible, if I had remembered to bring it, <laughs> um, I would flip to the part that's between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I would point to that and say that is called the intertestamental period of time. So it's between the old and the new. There were 400 years, 400 years of silence from God. He didn't speak through prophets or judges during that time. And people groups started kind of trying to figure things out on their own in terms of how to go about religious life the Pharisees showed up, <laughs> and they started putting in what was called fence-keeping laws. Fence-keeping. So the concept of fence-keeping is this. You take an original idea from the Lord, like, I want you to do a thing, 
and then you build fences around it bigger and bigger and bigger because you just want to be like on the safe side with God. And so you're going to add to it some things. So for example, here's an example. Priests were, were told by God in the law to wash, wash their hands and be clean before they entered in to serve the Lord. Priests. So that was in the temple of the Lord. Pharisees added to that with those fence-keeping, broader and broader man-made kind of rules with saying like, okay, because that was good, let's everybody wash all the time. Let's wash before you eat. Let's wash before you uh, <laughs> have sex. Let's, have, you know, let's wash after you go to the market. Let's wash, you know, before you eat a piece of bread and then Let's wash again before you eat or drink um, more. So the Pharisees did a great job of building in all these safety rules, fence-keeping laws, during the intertestamental time. Then Jesus is born, right? In the New Testament, he shows up. And the Pharisees are thinking to be clean is to be close to the Lord. So we want to keep our, our laws about being clean. But here's this man named Jesus. What do we think of him? And what do we observe about him? By Mark 7, the Pharisees have already had some run-ins with Jesus. And they've called him out on not keeping the Sabbath. And they've called him out on eating with sinners, these unclean behaviors. And he also healed on the Sabbath. So they don't really know. <laughs> what to make of him. They've used these fence-keeping laws to kind of figure out who's in or out in the kingdom. And by the looks of it, the way that Jesus and his disciples act, they kind of act like they're not part of the kingdom because they're not keeping up with these rules. So verse 1 starts with a critique. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus, they noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. Okay, so we've laid it out. And then Mark takes a few verses to kind of explain to the Gentiles why this is a thing. And it's for all the reasons I just told you. To be clean is to be close. And so he's saying this is why. But then down uh, in verse 5, so the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. So they're inferring, you're not one of us. You're not part of our kingdom. And then Jesus replies with a call out and warning. He's going to use the H word here. Just want to put that up there. <gasps> I know, the H word. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. <gasps> Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. So there have been confrontations with the Pharisees before, but this is the first and only time in the whole book of Mark that the word hypocrite is used. And 
yeah, it's a Greek word, ancient word. It means the same exact thing as how we use it today. We use it to describe somebody who's an imposter, who's a fake, or an actor. Um, Jesus is getting upset because the leaders, the religious leaders, are faking like they're really close to him, to God. They are faking it. Blind spot alert. What is on the outside should match what's on the inside. So if you are close to God on the inside, your behavior will follow. Those two things would match. So if those things are not matching, you have a little blind spot potentially. Like, for example, I might behave in such a way that leads you to assume that I am close to Jesus. I come to church every week. I go to the discipleship class, I worship, sometimes I close my eyes, <laughs> I serve. Last year, I donated to the food bank. These handy lists of outward behaviors can feel so convenient and reassuring to us. They tell us, like, okay, Allison, your faith is real because you did all those little checkbox things. Right? And that then makes me feel good because I'm doing what I should be doing. I'm successful as a Christ follower. <laughs> We're really good as human beings project managing our faith and then projecting that onto others. Like, I do it this way, so should you. And then I'll know if you're in or out of the kingdom. Right? But here, these outward behaviors, the Pharisees are doing them. And Jesus is calling them out on being hypocritical. So then we have to ask the question, if we're doing outward behaviors, how do we evaluate then? Like, are he and I okay? Would he call me a hypocrite too? How do we know? To answer that, let's look at the example that Jesus is going to give them. He's going to specify why he's, he's calling them out the way that he is. He says, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectively of them must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. Okay, so what, what, what is Jesus referring to here? He's referring to a, a fence-keeping law that the Pharisees had established called Corbin. And Corbin, the way I looked at Corbin, was a little bit like a tax shelter for your wealth that you can stick it inside an account, and you could use it during your life, um, but it wouldn't accrue any tax later. Um, more specifically... Uh, this was written so that people could donate their entire estate, all everything that they owned, all their possessions, all of their wealth. Upon their death, they could give that to the temple or to the church. Um, in the meantime, though, people were saying they were using Corbin as an excuse for why they couldn't care for their parents here on earth. So, for example, uh, using this Corbin rule... Oh, well, I would, I'll, I'll put it in the words of Jesus. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents, and you cancel out the word of God in, in order to hand down your own tradition. 
This is only one example among many others. So Jesus is saying the things that you do out of religiosity, these man-made traditions, when they replace the actual commands or desires of the Lord, that is where hypocrisy is. And that's what uh, leads us further and further from the heart of God. Corbin is what influencers call a dupe. Um, it's a knockoff of devotion, and it's just a shadow of what the original design was intended to be, the quality and the, and the intention of that. So, for example, with Corbin, people would be like, oh, mom, sorry, I can't come fix your sink this weekend. I, I've, you know, I've got to go to Bible study. Corbin. Or they would say, like, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't take you to the doctor. I'm helping the homeless. Corbin. Or, oh, I'm so, so sorry, I can't help you figure out your remote control again. I'm off to Bible study. Corbin. And so Jesus is saying, like, you can't say that I've so devoted my life to God, like giving him everything at the end, and then meanwhile disregard his commands during your lifetime, right? It's like a 180 from what his intention was. So Jesus calls the crowd, and he says, hey, you guys, listen, try to understand it's not what goes into your body that defiles you or makes you unclean. You're defiled from the stuff that's coming out of your heart. What's making you clean is the stuff that's inside your heart, not all your external behaviors. Corbin was just one way of an outward religious behavior that was in conflict with God's heart. The outside is not matching the inside. We maybe have a blind spot, too, when, we do what, when we're doing things that bring us closer to the Lord, adhering to fence-keeping laws, maybe, and it may be putting us actually at a distance from God, and we've put him now in our blind spot. I found it interesting that the Pharisees couldn't recognize God when he was standing right there in front of them, right? I mean, they're interacting with Jesus himself here and they don't recognize him. It reminds me of a story that I heard of uh, Charlie Chaplin. Do you guys remember him? He, they called him the little tramp. He had characters that he was really famous for. Yeah, silent movie character. So he um, happened upon sort of a festival that was taking place in Hollywood at Groman's Chinese Theater. Have you guys been down there? It's like little Chinese theater thing. So back in the day, they were having this big festival, and there was all these events taking place on campus. And on stage, there was a look-alike contest, a Charlie Chaplin look-alike contest. And he thought it would be fun if he could go up on stage and compete against the other contestants, seeing, like, of course, incognito, um, seeing, like, if he could win or whatever. And out of the 30 or 40, by the end of it, Charlie Chaplin himself came in third place. <laughs> but the blind spot would be that legalism has blocked our view of Christ. We, we don't even recognize him or his work or his heart or his, his purposes, even when they're right in front of us. This makes, me, this makes me queasy, actually, as a Christ follower, to think of Jesus being in my sight or in my range, and I'm just missing him. 
right? I, I'm just not even identifying him uh, in that moment or his heart for me, just totally missing the point. Well, what is blocking my view? Like the new car design with the increasingly wider steel <laughs> and smaller and smaller window glass, am I becoming legalistic? I ask that. Am I adding laws around a law that keep me from seeing him, from knowing him? And does legalism also keep me from knowing and loving his people? As we saw with Corbin, right? They were excusing why they couldn't serve their family because of Corbin. And, and that was neglecting not only God's uh, command to honor father and mother, but to like deliberately miss out on meeting their needs. So just like the Pharisees, they're getting at a distance from him and his people when they other others and assume them to be outside of God's kingdom. I wanted to note that Jesus is not against tradition or faith practice. He's against empty tradition or empty faith practice where there's ritual without any real meaning. And I think that can serve us here at this time of Lent as we're approaching maybe some new practices. But Jesus is confronting and condemning the hypocrisy here and the actual like dispensing or dis disposal of, of God's intention in order to do our man-made tradition. So Timothy Keller says it this way, legalism is looking to something besides Jesus Christ in order to be acceptable and clean before God. And then A.W. Tozer says, legalism is insidious. It doesn't leap out with you at you with a sign that says, I'm legalism. Instead, it comes under the appearance of godliness. I think that's what makes it so sneaky. Insidious is the word used. So have I built fences around what I understood to be God's commands and in my busyness to be extra obedient? Have I forgotten the one that I'm devoted to? Have I judged people who's in or out based on a certain list of criteria that I have developed over time? Somebody's politics or their voting record? Purity culture? Parenting success? How long you can go when you're fast? <laughs> Generosity? Lifestyle? Or all the things of 2020? While those viewpoints may have been established once upon a time in my life because of something scriptural or centered in what I felt was God's purpose, have I drawn bigger and bigger fences in my life keeping people out and blocking my view of Christ? You know, many people have actually switched churches based on some of those things listed and so is that God's heart for us, too? I think about that. Was it just our preference, or was God actually calling us to move churches? I don't know. Still thinking about that one. Um, I'm thinking about the word hypocrite, the H word. And I think I look in the mirror first. Are we claiming to be close, but 
really far from the heart of God? Keep in mind, Jesus never called tax collectors or prostitutes or sinners. He never called them hypocrites. He was calling the religious leaders hypocrites. Last night, I had the misfortune of scrolling Twitter before I fell asleep. (laughs) And like with all of you in your Twitter news feeds, your algorithm reflects the things that you, like maybe your industry, right? And you keep on a leading edge of industry. Um, For me, it's ministry on there because that's my industry. And I had the unfortunate experience of reading of yet another... um, misconduct, clergy misconduct case that was, you know, breaking news. I had this sermon on my mind as I'm scrolling that, right? And I think, was the reason Jesus was so ticked off in that moment and used a really strong word like hypocrite? Because when he looked at a religious leader who was pretending to be something that he wasn't, did he have some sort of like zoom vision like that he could see across this expanse of time and see every victim that would be victimized by people like this? Like, could he in this moment have had that realization and that omniscience about like, this is dangerous. People, religious leaders who pretend to be something that they're not It's dangerous. And maybe that's what stirred God's heart in that moment was because he was like, I see it all. I see where this all can lead. And it makes me ticked. (laughs) Right? So I was up between 1 and 3 a.m. thinking of all that. Again, silly me for scrolling Twitter. Anyhow, but I, I think about that. And I think, okay, I can understand why he would use strong language then. Anyhow, in this moment, a lot of us may not be feeling very super. We may be feeling sober. We may be thinking, my gosh, I came in here thinking I was one of the disciples. And now I'm wondering, like, what's wrong with Allison? But also, <laughs> like, like, is there something wrong with me? Like, could Jesus call me a hypocrite too? Let's look at his coaching. We're going to finish up his, um, his remarks here. He go, Jesus goes and gets away from the crowd, and his disciples ask what he had just meant. You guys don't understand either. He said, can't you see that the food you put in your body cannot defile you or make you unclean? Food doesn't go in your heart. It just passes through your stomach and goes into the sewer. And by saying this, Mark is saying, like, all foods are acceptable. They're neutral, neither clean nor unclean. Outward stuff is not the issue. And then Jesus added, it's not what comes from inside that defiles you. It's from within, out of a person's heart. That's where evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. That is what defiles you. Food just impacts your digestive system. It's not the external things that matter. The stuff that's defiling us, making us unclean and far from God, 
is sin. It is sin. And our blind spot there is that it's sin that's actually distancing us from God. It's not the external things that we're doing or eating or performing. It's sin. And this trashy list Jesus spelled out is sobering because he's talking to people who think that they're right with God. Meanwhile, all these things are like taking up residence in their, home, in their heart. And if we think that we're above any of that list, I think the P word on there <laughs> might apply to us too. Pride, right? Like that we're outside of Jesus's coaching. It's like, oh, well, that's all good for you guys and too bad for you, not for me. Well, that is pride and that is also on there. So the outward, external, man-made, fence-keeping laws that put us in good relationship with God, nope, it is not those things. What do we do now? Is there any sort of rule of life that he's given us? Anything like a top 10 list of like, well, what can I do? Is there a top 10 list? Yeah, there is actually. <laughs> but even that, he boils down to this. And in Matthew, it says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the law, all of it, and the prophets, it hangs on those two things. All those other ones, superfluous. Ooh, super, superfluous. So loving him and loving others, it's not as complicated as we thought. As we pursue Christ and want to be drawn near to him, we can double check that our outsides are matching our insides. We can be watchful for legalism that might be blocking our view of Christ and know that it's our sin that distances us from him. But take heart. This is how Eugene Peterson says it. It was only yesterday you were outsiders to God's ways and had no idea of any of this. You didn't know the first thing about the way God works, didn't have even the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of the rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel, hadn't a clue about God, what God was doing in the world at large. Now become, because of Christ, dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. The Messiah made things up between us, so we're now together, both non-Jewish and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall, the fence, the steel. <laughs> he tore that down that we used to keep each other at a distance with. He repealed the law code that became so clogged with fine print and footnotes, it hindered more than it helped. And then he started over. And out of the International Children's Bible, which I just love, he says, yeah, at one time you were far from God. But now in Christ, you're brought near to him through the blood of Christ's death. The good news today, though we were once far from God and far from his heart, we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The sin that once distanced us blocked us from view like a 2024 steel frame vehicle has been removed. And all the more in this next lifetime, because now we're only seeing through a mirror dimly. 
but then we'll see face to face. I want to close with a con um, Jesus, when he spoke to them and called them hypocrites and said, your hearts are far from me, he was, he was quoting Isaiah. And there is a uh, passage in Isaiah that refers to um, the law keeping that fell short. And then I want to say how this closes, though, because I think it's just so beautiful. He talks about integrating your faith. You can read it later for Devo time. Isaiah 58, he talks about integrating the faith and heart of the Lord into your faith practice. It's integrated, and it looks a certain way. And he promises this is what is going to happen as a result. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will appear quickly. Your righteousness will go before you, and the glory, the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And then when you call, the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I, close by. I'm close by. We've integrated those two. Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to say to you that we repent of the things that have kept us from your heart, that somehow we've built in these man-made traditions that keep you far from us. They block our view, not just of you, but of the people that you've called us to love. Lord, I pray that moving forward, you would keep these blind spot alerts top of our mind, Lord, that we would be wary of anything that where the outside doesn't match the inside, or that we're letting sin get in the way of our closeness and our proximity to you. We do so desire to be in your presence, Lord. We want our hearts clean, and we're grateful that Jesus' blood covers that and draws us near. It's in your name we pray. Amen.